And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. Of course, it's The Real Investment Show and it's hump day, which means it's Wednesday which also means it's Fed meeting announcement day, which everybody's been anxiously awaiting. This is, this has been more anticipated than Christmas. Well, maybe not Christmas, but everybody's been waiting for today. Uh, The the issue of course is the Fed widely expected to uh, hike rates by 25 basis points. That's pretty much built in uh, to the markets now. Uh, what is not built into the markets really yet, and we'll, and we'll find out today, is just how hawkish Jerome Powell is going to be. Now, as we've said before, if you go back to the Jackson Hole Summit speech uh, back in September, markets were rallying into that, Fed, that kind of that global confab of central bankers. Uh, market was rallying into that, hoping to hear something about a pivot or maybe a, an end game for hiking rates, those type of things. Uh, 15 minutes before he's supposed to give his speech, Jerome Powell tears up his speech, writes a whole new short speech that says basically we're hiking rates to the moon. That sent markets tumbling. Um, in October, markets start rallying again in no, in, through November and into early December into that FOMC meeting. Again, Jerome Powell comes out smacks the market around a bit, says, you're not listening to me. We're hiking rates until we get inflation under control. Since then, markets declined, of course. And since the beginning of January, markets have once again been rallying, easing financial conditions. Now, as we've said before, this is a key point of what goes on with the Federal Reserve. These financial conditions are what drive the economy, so to speak. And and what I mean by that is, is that's the dollar, that's interest rates, that's everything that impacts the economy. So the tighter financial conditions are, the less economic activity there is, which brings down inflation. And of course, if you ease those financial conditions, give people more access to money, more confidence, those type of things, then activity increases. And that leads to higher inflation. And that's not what the Fed wants. So uh, this, this afternoon, of course, uh, they'll announce a quarter basis point hike. That's widely expected. Now, could the Fed do something else? Could the Fed come out and do 50 basis points? Well, if they really wanted to, to teach the markets a lesson, yeah, they hike 50 basis points here. And that would certainly probably bring markets down very sharply. We probably have a 5% down day. Uh, on that type of news because the market is not priced for that. The market is priced right now for a 25 basis point hike and they hopes that the end game is now in sight. In other words, the Fed will say something to the, the effect of we're going to hike rates 25 basis points and we're close to our terminal rate. We're going to try to get to 5% and hold them there for the rest of the year. That's what the markets are anticipating. The Fed says something much more hawkish than that and and indicates that they could keep hiking rates even further at this point. That market is not really prepared for that. So again, this is why all eyes are on the markets today um, and the Fed Reserve, uh, Federal Reserve here at two o'clock this afternoon when they make their speech because that's what's gonna really dictate the outcome of the market. Um, Odds are that the Fed will hike 25 basis points and continue to talk about the importance of getting inflation under control. I don't expect them to be 
off the rails in terms of hawkishness in one direction or the other, right? So it's, it's they're, they're kind of getting to the point that they're realizing that they need to pause and allow all these rate hikes to play catch up now to the economy. And again, you know, this is a very important point. Um, I was reading, you know, had a lot of Twitter conversation this morning going on. Um, you know, people saying, hey, we had 2.9% economic growth in December. No recession in sight. Well, okay, first of all, that's lagging data. Second of all, that data is highly subject to revisions. And if you will remember, uh, you probably don't remember because this has been so long ago, but in 2007, December of 2007, the economy had positive economic growth. And I wrote an article in the middle of December saying we are about to be in or are already in the worst recession since the Great Depression. Now, there was no evidence at that point in terms of the mainstream media announcements and what was going on with economic data in terms of the GDP, in terms of GDP numbers, that we were in a recession. But a year later, in December of 2008, the National Bureau of Economic Research comes out and says, oh yeah, the recession started in December of last year, December of 2007. And of course, all the data got revised and we can clearly see that recessionary drag starting in December of 2007. That's the problem. So looking at data today does not take into account the lag effect of what happens with interest rates going forward. And we had not only 25 basis points in March of last year, followed by 50 basis points, followed by four rate hikes of 75, followed by another 50, another 25 today. Outside of that March rate hike, which may be in the economy because it takes about nine to 12 months, none of the other rate hikes are actually reflected in the economic data as of yet. So that's the risk that we face going further into this year and why the Fed needs to now pause at some point and wait to let those effects catch up. The big risk, of course, that the Fed runs is that they over-tighten policy and they create a much deeper recession than they intended to, right? Um, you know, the, the issue of, you know, 2008 is a good example, is that, yes, we were going to have a recession. That was one thing. But it was the financial crisis caused by Lehman Brothers and the failure of all the bad mortgages, et cetera, that really accelerated and, and created the problems in 2008. That was the financial crisis. So the risk is having a recession, yes. And a recession is not the end of the world. But what happens if all these rate hikes lead to some other type of financial event, a failure of some sort? And this has been repeated throughout history, right? Uh, Continental Illinois savings and loans crisis, uh, Latin American debt, Mexican debt default, Russian debt default, uh, long-term capital management, 2001, dot-com crash, uh, Enron, WorldCom, all these companies, right? Um, 2008, financial crisis. All through history, rate hikes have coincided with an economic or financially related event. And that's the risk that the Fed faces. They tighten too much and they cause a break within the financial system on top of an economic recession. Now, I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but history is replete with examples of exactly that occurring. So this is the thing that the Fed needs to be very careful of and why they do need to pause here over the course of the next you know, couple of months and let some of these rate hikes start to catch up. The problem is for the markets is the markets are running well ahead of economic realities as well. 
So again, while the markets have been doing very well this year, coming off of those lows back in December, and again, nothing wrong with this rally. Markets are getting up towards the top of their range. Um, the MACD signal is starting to, to get to a fairly extended level here, so start looking for a, at least a, a period of correction. Our money flow indicator is getting very close to turning over as well from a high level. Uh, that suggests that you're going to have a period of at least some sloppiness Right? So this continued kind of bull rally is going to take a pause at least, if not go through a bit of a correction period. Um, that will determine, of course, as we've talked about before, we're very close now to the 50 and the 200-day moving average crossing over. The 20-day moving average is moving up through those moving averages as well. So there's a lot of support for the market right around 3940 on the S&P 500. So that's your really kind of key level of support. The market takes that out. We're going to be looking for a bigger pullback here, but the markets can hold that, work off some of this overbought condition in the short term. That's certainly a much more bullish outlook. And that would really kind of go against a lot of what's happening within the economic data, financial data, et cetera. But that's the topic for today with Danny Ratliff. Bull market or bear market? Jim Cramer versus Jim Kanos. That's coming up next right here on The Real Investment Show. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Is your partner cheating on you? Financial infidelity is a relationship buzzkill and a wealth destroyer. Just in time for Valentine's Day, our next Candid Coffee will address how to avoid financial infidelity. Saturday, February 11th with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Build trust, improve your money talk, and pillow talk. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. How to avoid financial infidelity. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Real Investment Show. So welcome back to the show this morning. So as I left off, of course, Danny Ratliff joining me this morning. Good morning, Danny. Hey, good morning, Lance. How are hey. you? So, you know, the big the big debate right now, of course, is you know, there's such good arguments for a bear market, right? We've got inflation. We've got economic data that's weakening on many different fronts. Leading economic indicators, ISM, consumer confidence is weak, CEO confidence is in the toilet. I mean, you can basically just go down the list of all the reasons why, you know, we're in a bear market. And it's just going to keep getting worse. And there's why be invested in the stock market when, you know, things are so terrible. Right. But yet the stock market tends to climb a wall of worry, as we discussed yesterday. And it's quite interesting because, you know, Jim Cramer um, came out yesterday on CNBC and said, hey, you got to start buying the dips. Um, we're back in a bull market. And with that, when the market dips and you have you know corrections of the market, those are your buying opportunities. It's not a you know, it's not a bear market. And. There's certainly some some support for that argument, as we talked about in this past weekend's newsletter and we've uh, written about in a couple of our daily commentaries, which you can get off our website, is that, you know, we've done some very bullish kind of things. In fact, our article out yesterday is called Bullish Formations, and that really kind of flies in the face of a lot of this recessionary talk. And I, now, I'm not making the case that we're not having a recession, so don't go jump off a cliff just yet. 
Um, that'll come later in the show. Um, but we have the market doing some things that are historically bullish, right? So you had the first five days of January, which were positive. You had the Santa Claus rally. You've got a positive first month of January. Now, generally, when you get those three things all tied together, the gear tends to be positive. But now outside of just those kind of statistical norms, you also have the market breaking above the downtrend line going back to January of 2022. The 50-day moving average is about to cross above the 200-day moving average. We're very close to that. That's the, the theoretical golden cross, which has typically more often than not portended to higher prices. You just had the completion of an inverse head and shoulders, which is typically a very strong bottoming pattern for the market. So there's a lot. And of course, just prices have been rising, right? The, you know, ARC, the, the, the vaunted ETF of Kathy Wood that got devastated last year has had its biggest advance in the history of the fund in January as people were going back to chasing all of these type of companies. Right. So the market is a lot. Of, there's a lot of these companies that are up 40, 50 percent in a month. Now, they're still negative. They were down 70 percent last year. So if you get 50 percent back of a 70 percent loss, you're still not even we're close back to even yet. But the point is, is that a lot of these stocks are having very, very big moves in the month of January. And yet this all flies into the face of Jim Kanos, who has a long tenured track record of managing money saying that we're about to be in a bear market unlike anything he's ever seen so who's right right is it is it the market technicals that are right or is it more the fundamental importance of what's going on with interest rate hikes and inflation and economic data article out this morning 67% of people that make $100,000 are living paycheck to paycheck. That was on Bloomberg this morning. So obviously, higher, higher wage costs, lower economy, et cetera, certainly weighing on more and more individuals just trying to make ends meet. That's certainly not good for economic growth. So it's, it's quite the conundrum, right? What do you believe, the technicals or the fundamentals? That's the challenge that Danny and I have to deal with every day. Your well, thoughts, Danny? Yeah, well, right now you have the Fed playing a game of chicken, right? With the with the market, I mean, you think after yesterday, a day like we had, and you go into the Fed meeting. I know markets are trending downward at the moment, but you know who knows what Powell says. I think it's everybody's anticipating a twenty five basis point hike. I know we've talked about just throwing the idea: what happens if he actually went further? Which we could probably make an argument to do so and then cut it off. Mm -hmm. But um, looking at wage growth, wage growth's finally beginning to to taper off. We're seeing all that economic data begin to show some signs that things are slowing down, albeit not as quickly as that 2% target of inflation or um, you know growth that we'd expect or, or what the Fed expects, which is I always find interesting, Lance. You know, it took us decades to get to 2% after the recession, the Great Recession in, in 08. And um, you know, we far exceed it with monetary and fiscal policy creating this big inflationary push. And now we just expect to pull it back and get back to it quickly. Um, I don't envy their position by any means, but there are a lot of moving parts right now. And I think that, it, you know, you always have to keep in mind who's behind these guys that are saying this as well. I mean, Kramer, who's he getting paid by? What do they get paid? <laughs> the, the big money managers that are going to tell you to buy and hold, not do anything, set it and forget it. Jim Kanos, he's a notorious short seller. Yeah. So 
hey, yeah, he'd love to push it down, tell everybody to get out, and he's making money while everybody else is sitting on the sideline or, you know, you're yeah. selling at a loss. Well, this is always, the, you know, always the risk about people talking their book, right? Correct. So um, you always have to take that into account. But, but it is, but look, uh, set that all aside, Danny, for a second. Okay, yeah. so let's, let's throw out Jim Cramer and Jim Kanos for a second. Let's just, you know, talk about what's going on. Um, you know, again, people making $100,000, 67% of them can't pay bills, right? I believe now, it. That's, that's certainly not economically sound, right? And, you know, we can say, okay, well, that's just them putting once before needs and, you know, not doing financial planning and living beyond their means. So we can blame it on that. But there's also the issue that, you know, we've got inflation that's, that's, that's you know, eating up the household budget. Credit, I'm actually writing an article right now on this, is, which is why this all kind of fits in. But credit card interest rates are now at the highest level since 1970, which is eating into more of the budget. So if I have $100,000 and I've got a lot of credit card debt and the interest rate goes up, and, and this is the important thing about the Fed rate. When the Fed hikes interest rates, it doesn't affect the long end of the curve. The Federal Reserve only impacts the treasury curve at the very short end, two years and less. There's a very high correlation between the Fed funds rate and the two-year treasury rate. Outside of that, once you get to the seven-year, 10-year, 20-year, 30-year interest rates, that's all economic growth and inflation. And so what the 10-year treasury is telling you right now, which has been declining, is that economic growth and inflation are going to slow in the coming year. That's what the 10-year Treasury is telling you. The short end of the Treasury curve, the one-year, the three-month, the one-year, the two-year, that's telling you what the Fed's doing. And that impacts all the variable rate debt, right? That's credit card debt, car loans, those type of things. Short-term debt is impacted by what the Fed is doing. And that's where a lot of consumers right now are getting hit the most because if I have $100,000 of income coming in, and the interest rates on my credit card have gone up, I'm paying more out on my credit card payment, which is diverting my money from buying stuff in the economy, like eggs. <laughs> we talked about that yesterday. You know, So if I'm not buying stuff in the economy and I'm servicing debt, that slows economic growth. So you know, this is, But this is a conundrum, right? Because if you take a look at what's happening with the stock market in, in you know, the recent weeks, it's been just going higher. And yesterday you would expect, I would have expected yesterday that the markets would have traded lower going into the Fed meeting. But yet we were up over 1% yesterday. So just, and had a very sharp move right at the end of the day uh, in stock prices as investors were just piling into stocks right ahead of the Fed meeting. So everybody's betting on the Fed coming out today saying 25 basis points and we're done. That's a big bet by the market. And we'll see who's right. Now, with, with weaker economic data, but still yet probably higher than what he wants, I would suspect that he's probably going to say, hey, we'll do 25 basis points, but remain rather hawkish. And maybe that means we're done, but you continue with QT. I mean, that's one thing I don't hear a whole lot about. Yeah, well, the, this is an interesting part, right? You don't hear anything about QT. Yeah. Which um, has not been running at pace, by the way. So the, the Federal Reserve last June announced that they were going to start doing quantitative tightening. This is the reduction of their balance sheet. And they're going to be reducing that by $95 billion a month. That's the largest rate of decrease in the balance sheet in the history of the Fed. They've not been able to do that. 
because of the rise in mortgage rates, they have been unable, the mortgages are affected by higher rates. When rates go up, people don't pay off their mortgages, right? They're not refinancing, they're not selling their houses as fast, those type of things. So the mortgage debt side of their book has not been able to come down. So they have not been able to run QT at their $95 billion level as they expected, but that is continuing to ramp up. And so when we talk about taking liquidity out of the market, that's what the Fed is doing. And there, there's a very high correlation between that balance sheet and S&P 500 stocks. And to Danny's point, nobody's talking about quantitative tightening. We're all talking about interest rates. Oh, they're going to pivot. As soon as they pivot, got to buy stocks. Still nobody's talking about QT. Historically, when that pivot occurs, though, it's it's not necessarily the right opportunity to buy stocks. Well, we have to define Q, We have to define pivot, Okay. right? Yeah. Market says a pivot is pausing. Correct. Okay. A real pivot is when the Fed's cutting rates. Correct. Right. Yeah. Which is technically they're stalling, not not actually pivoting and cutting rates and going right. a different direction. And I think that's the that's the big deal right now is that you know we talked about this with the economic conditions the way that they've been. I mean, just think back if we look back over the sev last several years, it has been pretty volatile even prior to COVID. Right? You look at 2018, we had a great year going into Q4. Jerome Powell comes out. And in October, says, hey, we're way away from neutral. We're going to have to hike rates aggressively. Market peels off 10%, comes out November 8th, to be exact. I remember the 10-year top 3.24. And it says, hey, whoa, whoa, we're done. Market goes down another 10% for the worst fourth quarter we've seen since the Great Depression. Yep. And ended up the year, you know, negated all the gains that we had. And then 2019, a good year. 2020, we all know what happened there. 21, great. 22, bad. Are we getting into shorter economic cycles or, or markets with just much more volatility? Uh, just more volatility. You is know, that going to persist, though? <laughs> probably. Well, too much short-term trading now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, we'll come back from the break. Uh, two things. If you are leaving your job, should you roll your 401k over into your new 401k or put it into an IRA? Um, and I'm sure Danny and I will have a heated debate on this. And also, should you retire at 59 and a half? Because at 58, I'm looking at that doorway right now. Be right back after the break. <laughs> the Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Is your partner cheating on you? Financial infidelity is a relationship buzzkill and a wealth destroyer. Just in time for Valentine's Day, our next Candid Coffee will address how to avoid financial infidelity. Saturday, February 11th with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Build trust, improve your money talk, and pillow talk. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. How to avoid financial infidelity. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning, of course. Uh, so one of the, the things that people run into is they when changing jobs is their 401k plan. And there's interesting now, there's some websites that are out. One, I think one's called Beagle.com and a, a couple of others that will actually go track down all your 401ks for you because as people move from job to job, they forget to move their 401k. So a lot of people have this money just kind of sitting out here in 401k plans 
and then you change an address and you forget to change the address there and all of a sudden you stop getting statements on it you forget about it you might be surprised how much money is sitting out there in 401k plans that, that have been abandoned and so companies are coming up with ways to try to track those down for you uh, so you can kind of get those back in place but the question always always becomes and and i'm sure danny and i are going to have a bit of a heated debate over this is what to do with those rollovers Right. So you've got this old 401k plan. What do you do with it? Do you roll it into your current company 401k plan or do you roll it to an IRA? And this is always one of the the big debates. Right. It's like, well, if I put it into an IRA, I have all these other choices and things I can do to, you know, blow myself up um, or my 401k plan, you know, is the other issue. So, Danny, what, what's your thought? What's, what should people do with their 401k plans when they move from one job to another? You know, this is an interesting one. I don't know if it's going to be as heated as you think. <laughs> I, I think that you can make an argument for both, and it really depends on your individual situation. So, you know, number one, 401ks historically have limited access to different types of funds. You have holding periods that you're uh, typically going to have to adhere to, meaning that if you want to move into something, you can't be as nimble as what we would historically like to be. Now, granted, we're not your normal buy and hold firm, so we're going to trade a little bit differently. If you're going to set it and forget it, fine, right? Um, 401ks have a lot new a lot of new offerings which are beneficial if you're contributing right now like now many of them offer you a Roth 401k that you don't have income limitations I get this this call or uh, question all the time Lance in the sense that hey I make too much money to put in the Roth 401k no 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 you make too much money to put into a Roth IRA Roth 401ks have no income limitations but that's really not at the heart of what we're talking about here we're really talking about if you leave your job, and so studies out saying that a lot more people are inclined to, if you're going to your last job, you're near retirement, many people are rolling these funds over, and instead of putting in the IRA, which they've historically done, they're starting to entertain or look more at the 401k. Now, a, a pro, if you're younger and you're looking to potentially retire before 59 and a half, many of these plans after 55 and you retire, you can make a one-time distribution of your funds and not pay the 10% penalty. So this is, an, this is an argument where I can make, say, hey, put it in the 401k. It's going to give you a little more flexibility in that regard. Um, no big deal. Now, the other caveat is if you're working, now RMD age just switched. It's been 70 and a half. Then it was 72. Now it's going to be 73. 2033, it'll be 75. But if you're over the required minimum distribution age and your 401k or your funds are in the 401k where you are working, you're not going to be required to take those required minimum distributions. However, if you had the funds in an IRA, you're going to have to take those distributions. So there's my arguments for why you would look at, at putting the funds into the 401k. Now, creditor protection could be another one. So one more. Texas, we don't have to worry about that, right? IRAs, 401ks are all going to be protected. Some states, there may be the caveat, if you are concerned with creditor protection, that you'd want to keep in the 401k over an IRA. Um, but... The majority of states do carry that protection to both types of accounts. Now, the arguments for, which I'm sure you're going to uh, agree with, to move those funds to the, the IRA rollover is that, one, you, you maintain control. Two, you control cost. You know what is going on. You know how much your fees are, whether that be you, you doing it in self-directing, you hiring a money manager. You know, as, as we manage funds for clients, we're very cognizant as far as what we invest in, because we don't want to incur any additional fees. We're not going to go hire a third third uh, party money manager. We're not buying historically mutual funds that have additional internal costs. We want to keep your costs down as low as possible. Now, 
It also helps with distribution planning further down the road. Um, the, the the bigger thing I think for you, Lance, is going to be the the ease of managing. Right? We can manage four hundred one ks. We have a platform. We could manage your four hundred one k right now. However, we can't manage it and be as nimble as what we historically would like to be in our normal portfolios. So having the accessibility to sky's the limit, you can invest in many, many different options in an IRA. We can get in something, get out of something um, rather easily. I think that's a pretty good argument on why most people would move towards yeah. an IRA. And that's historically why they have. Right. Well, you know, you'll be surprised, though. I, I you know. I'm more of the in the camp that you move into an IRA when you retire. Okay. And the reason is, is that, you know, if you have a bunch of stranded 401ks out there, roll them into your current 401k, right? So, and this is really, and this is a little bit different, you know, so Danny's talking mostly about retirement, approaching retirement IRA versus 401k options. And there's some Mm -hmm. very good arguments. You're in your last job, but you have this big 401k, and you want to diversify a bit away from what your 401k currently has. There's certainly some reasons to do that. But for for a lot of people that are younger in their accumulation phase, they have an old 401k at a job, and they go, I want to put that in an IRA so I can go trade stocks, right? I want to trade stocks in my IRA. Um, no, don't. Roll that into your current 401k. Reason. By not doing that, you're giving up free money, <laughs> first of all. Um, the company matches you. So every time whoa, you whoa, make a... Whoa, hold, hold on, hold on, nope, hold on. Nope, so let me finish. Not, let me finish. Now we're getting Let eaten. me finish. Not accurate, Lance. It it, it will make sense in a second. Just hold on for a second. Okay. First of all, when you roll into your 401k plan at work, all your content, if you'll let me finish, when you make a contribution, the company matches part of that contribution. So you're getting feeds into your 401k. In a lot of cases, when you're getting those feeds into your 401k, that helps the overall growth of return over time because you're actually adding money to the account consistently. So... If I take an old 401k and I put it to an IRA, I lose those contributions because I'm contributing to my 401k, and Danny will agree with this, is that when if I'm fully funding my 401k, I cannot also contribute to my personal IRA. I can make a spousal IRA, but that's not where my 401k money is. So by not having an ability to add funds to that IRA, I'm limiting its growth over time. So by combining these 401ks together, putting them into one 401k, you're now contributing to a pile of money that you're also growing over time. And that helps buffer the declines in markets like we had last year. So, you know, if you have an IRA that's out there, um, you're subject to the swings of the markets. And so if you're down 20% in your portfolio, you can't go add $10,000 to it and get it back into growth mode again. You've got to try to just make up those losses to get back to even before you start growing again over time. And this is why we've talked about before in your in your tax deferred accounts be the most conservative there don't speculate in your IRAs or your Roth IRAs don't speculate there because the losses have a big impact on your total return over time and so if you destroy a bunch of principal you lose the effect of tax deferred or tax free growth so the be most conservative inside your IRAs and retirement accounts if you're going to speculate do that in your taxable account where you can write off your losses on your taxes. So there's actually, you know, and again, when you take a look at your 401k plan, yes, you have a lot fewer choices. Oh, I need a notepad. But but they're okay. It's okay to have fewer choices. A lot of people come out and say, oh, I don't have enough choices in my 401k. I want to do all these other crazy things. You're just going to blow yourself up over time <laughs> because you're going to get it wrong at some point. You're going to destroy a lot of capital in your 401k plan. So it's okay to have fewer choices. All you need is an S&P fund and a bond fund. That's it. 
and manage your, manage your allocation, grow that over time, again, speculating your other accounts. Because, again, those losses are going to impact your total return much more than what little bit of growth you might not get by having some crazy fund that would probably wind up hurting you anyway. Um, also, the holding periods in 401ks are actually good. keeps you from speculating in the markets. Growth, if, if you're younger and you're trying to accumulate money for retirement, if you're in your 30s or your 40s, it really does go back to time in the market over timing the market. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of benefits to having less opportunity and having some restrictions on 401k plans if you're younger and accumulating. But again, to Danny's point, if you're right at retirement, if you're 50, 55, you know, 60, there's certainly some options there to, you know, um, look at doing both an IRA and a 401k, doing early distributions from your from your retirement plan, those type of things are some things to do. But if you're younger, put those all on a 401k plan, leave the IRAs alone. Other than your you know, your spousal IRAs. Well, here I am thinking this wasn't going to get heated. There you go. Go, um, go for it. No. So listen, no, number one, just to be clear, and I don't, I don't think you meant this, but when you do roll over an I, a 401k to another 401k, you're not getting matching contributions on it. You're only getting matching contributions on, on the contributions. On That's what contributions. I said. Okay. That's what At I first, said. first, it, it, it no. sounded a little bit different. Because you interrupted me. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let me finish. As I said, when you contribute to the plan, you get a match on some portion of that contribution, okay. not the rollover. Fair enough. Okay. So now that we're clear on that. Now, where was <laughs> I? I love getting fired You up. interrupted me. <laughs> Dang it. So, so the other caveat, I think, though, is that you mentioned that, okay, you're going to be able to continue to contribute to the 401k, unlike the IRA. Now, there's still options where you can contribute depending on your, your work environment, what you're able to contribute to the 401k. If you have a 401k, or um, your spouse, you can also make non-deductible contributions. I don't typically recommend it because it does, uh, it does entail some accounting on the back end and paperwork that you're going to have to do annually, which most people don't do. So when you take distributions, it's not as bad. But hey, look, you look, said, we're, just, we're just trying to get people to contribute the max to their 401k no, 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 plan. <laughs> well, but here's the deal, right? Well, I, I agree, but also, you know, we could take a couple steps back and spend a lot of time on this. I think we need to, to do look at the hierarchy of where we invest, how we invest, then begin to think about what we put in a 401k. But look, if you're down 20% of 401k, you're down 20% in the IRA. It just doesn't feel as bad because you're still contributing. My hope is, and the majority of my clients, we're still putting funds aside on a regular basis in those other accounts. So we're taking advantage of market swings. We're taking advantage of what's going on in this current environment. So, you know, being nimble is, is really big. We can kind of tie this up on the other end. <laughs> and retiring 59 and a half. We'll talk about that as well. Uh, distributions without paying a 10% penalty, can you do it? That's the question. Be right back after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Is your partner cheating on you? Financial infidelity is a relationship buzzkill and a wealth destroyer. Just in time for Valentine's Day, our next Candid Coffee will address how to avoid financial infidelity. Saturday, February 11th with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Build trust, improve your money talk, and pillow talk. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. How to avoid financial infidelity. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real investment show
So, you know, we talked about uh, buying eggs yesterday on the show. And uh, there's a whole new crop of problems that are showing up now. People now going to Mexico uh, trying to smuggle eggs back across the border. And, of course, as we talked about yesterday, you know, it's there's a $10,000 penalty if you get caught doing that. So, you know, you thought eggs were expensive before you did that. It can get really expensive if you get caught smuggling eggs back into the country. Um, but it was interesting because uh, Brent found this uh, clip of an actual egg buyer. And this is the problem that, you know, people are facing. We talked about yesterday, you know, people taking pictures of their feet, posting that on the website to try to <laughs> try to afford buying eggs. You know, uh, all these extremes people are going to people trying to buy three eggs instead of a dozen. <laughs> So just trying to get, you know, get some eggs. That's it. Who are you feeding with three eggs? It, it, well, it was, it was a single guy. He says, look, I live by myself. I just need three eggs. I don't need a dozen. And the guy's like, there's no barcode for three eggs. I've so. got three monsters under 10, and they each eat more than three eggs, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so, I mean, hey, it's, you got to do what you got to do. Anyway, uh, it was kind of interesting. But this is what buying eggs has now evolved itself into. All right, city folk, listen up. Uh, we understand that there are certain items from poultry that have gotten really expensive, and you may be looking to buy some on the side, and that's great. We can hook you up, but understand something. You don't go rolling up to the first coop you see in the countryside and just say, I would like to buy a dozen eggs. It's not how it works. We don't call them that out here. They're called sea seeds. All right, now look, we got what you want. What do you want? You want some uh, Rhode Island delights? You want some Red Sex Link specials? You want some Orpington rounds? Sure, we can hook you up, but understand the lingo. And don't be asking for things like a dozen eggs because the cops know exactly what you mean when you say a dozen of something out here. No, no, no. You can buy singles. You can buy unos. You can buy a straight six. You can buy a disciple pack, a double disciple pack. We will hook you up, but don't just come up and hand me cash like you've never done this before, all right? You put it in an envelope. You drop the envelope on the ground. I'm going to nod in the direction of a brown paper bag that might contain your seat seeds we're going to pick up our respective items and go our separate ways so that's how it works get it right and there you go so now you know all the things you need to do if you want to go <laughs> roll up to a chicken coop <laughs> and buy eggs you know we talked about yesterday about my daughter killing chickens so <laughs> this is uh this is where things are evolving itself uh to now so there we go uh anyway daughter Hey, Dad, what'd you tell everybody? Yeah. Oh, no, there's, there's, I'm sure there's a clip being made out of this somewhere, which we're not, we are going to launch a TikTok channel with all of our comedic outtakes. So you will have that access uh -oh. soon. It's the outtake TikTok. Yes. Say that three times fast. <laughs> so, all right. Um, 59 and a half. Um, allowing for distributions without paying uh, 10% penalty. As you said uh, in the last segment, uh, they are now upping the age limit for RMDs, which is where you can, where you're required to take out 10, you know, up to basically about 10% of your portfolio. Every year, the IRS penalizes you a very hefty fine for that. But, you know, after 59 and a half is when you can start taking your distributions. Pre 59 and a half, you have to pay a 10% penalty if you take money out of your tax deferred account. So it's your not only do, and this is, you know, a lot of people, they go, they run out of money elsewhere and they go, I need money out of my IRA. They're 50, you know, 55, whatever it is. And they go, I'll just take it out of my IRA or my 401k. And that, that sounds great on the surface, right? And I'll just pay the tax now, but it's the tax and a 10% penalty on what you take out. So it's very expensive to do that. Um, and the reason is to, 
they do that is to keep you not from doing that. Um, but now there's, uh, you know, retiring, there's some rule changes that are coming that may allow you to retire pre-59.5 and still avoid that 10% penalty. Yeah, so, I mean, there's two main things, right? There are lots of options for you to take distributions from your 401k or IRA and not pay the 10% penalty. However, you're still going to pay taxes. You know, so it could be for first-time home, first home buyers, for college costs, for health care costs, medical costs, above 10% of over your AGI. Um, you can typically take those funds out without having to pay that penalty. Now, the two big things and big caveats and why I would certainly encourage, you know, we've had a lot of clients over the last couple of years, Lance, who've retired early or given severance packages like go. They're over 55, but they're not quite 60. And, you know, one big thing we typically will advise them is say, hey, don't do that rollover yet. Put the funds in and keep them in the 401k or do a portion of it to a rollover. And let's keep these other funds for you to live on because they're able to make these distributions. Some companies will only allow it once. Some may let you take many distributions from it. But if done properly from the 401k above 55, you can take these distributions without paying the 10% penalty. You will, however, still pay taxes. Now, the other way that we can do this, regardless of age, is do a 72T. It is a loop. Uh, it's an IRS code, essentially, that allow you to take equal and substantial distributions. You can do it on a, you know, there's three different ways you can do it. Um, but you can do it on a monthly, a quarterly, an annualized basis. But you have to do this for a minimum of five years or until you reach 59 and a half, whichever one uh, is first. So there are some options out there for you to do this. And this would go back to that conversation we were having on, you know, what would be a good reason to keep money inside of a 401k? This is certainly a good one, especially if you think that, you know, retirement may be on, your, on the horizon or, um, you know, you're already retired or you get let go. This would be a reason to keep these funds there because I think everybody automatically just thinks, okay, roll it over, roll it over. And a lot of times that is the case, and especially when people say, hey, I'm trying to retire. We get a lot of guys, Lance. I mean, you know a lot of these people who are very smart. They've been investors for years. Uh, some of them used to be, be money managers, advisors. And they'll say, listen, you know what? We share similar thoughts. We like the way we, we operate very similarly. If something happens to me, my wife would be lost or, or vice versa. My husband would be lost. And what, uh, you know, we want somebody that can help, you know, make sure that our wishes are executed. We're on the same page and, you know, we don't skip a beat. And I think that's really, really important. So that, that a lot of times people just say, hey, I'm going to go ahead and roll this over to the IRA. Then they call us, say, hey, we got all these funds. We need to take distributions. Wait. I would wait and make sure that everything mm -hmm. is done properly. I mean, we had an individual um, in December who actually uh, we worked with one of his buddies and he called and said, hey, I've got these funds and uh, you guys, you, you helped him with the, with the pension rollover. Would you help me? I said, yeah, great. We'd love to help you. And um, so we start talking and said, well, okay, so funds are still in the pension. Oh, no, no, no. We already did. We already took them out. Where'd you put them? Well, we put them in our, um, in our checking account. I said, whoa, you need the funds. I mean, this wasn't a small amount of money. And he said, no, we don't need them. I said, well, why'd you put in your checking account? I said, well, I don't know. That's just where we thought to go. And, and so what happens a lot of times that we make these mistakes. Now, granted, luckily, we were able to save this. It was at the very end of last year in December, after Christmas, between New Year's, we were able to open a new IRA, do a 60-day rollover to the account, and help him avoid paying taxes and penalty. But had it been a little bit longer, man, that would have been a, if, if it would have been 23 when we discussed, he would have had a very hefty tax bill and for 22, 
he would have gotten a pretty big refund likely for 23. But if it had waited even 60 days, then we're in trouble. There's nothing you can do. So this is why I always advise, talk to somebody before you start making these moves. We hear a lot of times people saying, hey, um, we don't need a financial planner. We don't need to worry about this. We'll take care of it. And then we'll, we'll get together. And a lot of times this is where mishaps can be made. Let's go ahead. There's never, ever too early of a time to start planning, especially, you know, we get a lot of people that retire and, and Lance, you see this and they say, hey, we're here. We're ready. Everything's in one type of account. We don't have a whole lot of flexibility. Whereas if we could start working on this much sooner, we can start giving you guys advice on, okay, hey, here's how you should put funds aside. Here's where this needs to go. Here are the things that we'd like to see you do prior to getting to that, you know, pulling the trigger on a retirement. And that way you have a bit more flexibility and, and you're not leaving anything on the table. We find a lot of times, especially in open enrollment periods, that there's a lot of money that's left on the table just, you know, inadvertently or, oh, well, I don't, I don't think I need that. Or, man, that's going to be too, too expensive, Danny. Let's not do that. Um, and many times it's, it's really not. So take a look. There's never too early of a time to, to address that plan. Use realistic numbers. And that'll help you as we're, you know, kind of segueing back into, you know, 401ks, IRAs. What does that look like? And what type of flexibility do you really have? There you go. And uh, as we get ready to wrap up the show for the day, uh, just some quick headlines here. Um, you know, markets are trading and kind of flattish this morning. Dow's down a little bit. NASDAQ's up a little bit. S&P's down about seven. Uh, all ahead of, of course, the the not just the Fed meeting this week, but we also have employment numbers on Friday. Um, had a friend of mine that used to run a construction company, and he would drive around, and, and for lunch, every day for lunch, he would get a Happy Meal at lunch. And, of course, you know, it comes with a toy. So he would just put the toy in the console of his truck, and then whenever he saw kids, he would drive by the construction site, see kids, and hand out the toys, right? So it was just kind of his way to do it. Um, but, but McDonald's has actually launched, you know, adult Happy Meals, <laughs> which has actually become a very big boost for their sales. Apparently now more American adults are buying adult Happy Meals. Um, and it's been years since, uh, you know, we've seen Beanie Babies and those type of things, you know, in Happy Meals. But adult Happy Meals are now apparently the thing. It makes adults happy. With adult toys? You've got to be careful how you phrase I that. i very careful. <laughs> so... Um, but yeah, but that would explain the jump. Yeah, it, it, yeah. That it's this is the headline <laughs> is simply perhaps not since the era of teeny beanie babies has the fast food chain aimed so directly at the collector market. Motivation, of course, was not special sauce burgers or crispy fries, but a series of collectible figurines that adults are now buying and collecting. Do you know that the uh, there was an interesting story out now um, just recently? The millennial generation is now the biggest collectors of kids' toys. This is why Legos has had such a huge surge in sales as they target the millennial age group who like to play with toys. I did not know that. I, I, I've been to Legos store. I could certainly I can, I can confirm that. that. Yeah, and listen... As expensive as half this stuff is and as difficult it is to put together, it's going to take a full-grown adult to do so. But $100,000, you can't make ends meet. Yeah. Might be a 
Look, it, it, look, it is a little bit inflation. It is a little <laughs> bit interest rates, but it's a lot of bad decisions. Okay. <laughs> all right. Our absolute show for today. Be back tomorrow with Thursdays. Michael Leibowitz will be going all through what the Fed says today and what that potentially means for the markets and your money. That's coming up in tomorrow's edition of the Real Investment Show. Be sure you buy our website. Subscribe to Before the Bell, our Real Investment Show, and our daily market commentary and newsletter. All at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com.